from Birmingham, Alabama. You're listening to the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress. I'm your host, Gary Furr, and I'm so glad to have you with me today. Whether you're sitting in your favorite chair or riding along in the car, I'm glad we're going to get to spend this time together. Good morning and welcome to the Flat and Pilgrim's Progress Season 2. This is our first time back after a little break and I want to welcome you. I want to start off today with a story about the toys of my childhood. Now, if you're a suburban parent, you've got toys all over the place and today we pretty much purchase toys. But when I was in graduate school, I spent a lot of time reading the works of Eric Erickson and others, but especially his books, Childhood and Society and Identity, Youth and Crisis. And he underlined in his work how important play is to children. It is their work. Last year, my children gave me a subscription to StoryWorth, which is where those of us who are a little long in the tooth write down our stories for our kids. Mine's turning into a multi-volume series, I think. But one of the questions were, was, uh, what were your toys as a child? Got me to thinking. We had lots of toys and books around our house. I had two younger brothers and a baby sister, and uh, toys and books were always really important. In truth, though, we played as much with sticks and rocks and things we found out and about as toys because for a lot of our childhood, we were outdoors and not always all that supervised. It was a different time, and I attribute some of that to my mother having three boys and later a girl desperately needing to get us out of the house as much as possible. But in terms of actual toys of childhood, first I mentioned things with wheels and things that move. Once we got enough age on us to do it, we were up in the morning and headed outside. The first toy that I remember is a little race car I had, and I have a picture of it. That car was used by both my Brother Greg and me, I think before Mike had a chance to drive it, my mother backed over in the driveway on the way to church, and that was the end of that. So I have held that over my mother's head ever since, pretending that it ruined my life whenever I needed to make a point. But wheels were all through childhood, tricycles, bicycles, anything we could find that moved. The other toy from preschool, I remember, is a toy truck, the replica of an 18-wheeler. The trailer had the name Western Auto on the side. That was a store that was very popular then, and I would pull that thing around on the floor. It will interest you to know that somehow I have kept the cab of that truck all these years, though the trailer disappeared a long time ago. I'm pretty sure my wife tossed it and would have gotten rid of the whole thing, but I sneaked the little cab around in a box don't know why it's so hard to let go of it. 
Well, I guess I do. It's like letting go of your life, except it's just a toy. My wife is convinced that I would make a very good episode of Hoarders. So I wrote that down on a piece of paper, put it in a stack so I could remember what she said. Anyway, anything that moved interested little boys, and as soon as we could, we learned to ride a bike. We weren't on training wheels very long, and we were on the move. I love trucks, cars, bikes, skates, tractors, forklifts, and in my adult life, I drove all of those at one time or another. We Americans can't sit still for long, and especially boys and men, and wheels will get you there faster. We moved to Clarksville, Tennessee for my father's job before I started third grade, and this bears witness to the kind of world it was then for children. I was eight, my brother six. We would ride our bikes to school a mile away. We never worried about being kidnapped or hit by a car. Besides, with us, if they had kidnapped us, they would have brought us back a la the ransom of Red Chief and the old O. Henry story. When we got home in the afternoons, we would get on our bikes and ride around and around our block. It was a big neighborhood. It was very quiet other than children's activities. And the most fun of all was to take baseball cards, only the duplicates, of course, or playing cards. And with a clothespin, you would clip half a dozen of them to your front and back wheels so that the cards would flap in the spokes of your bicycle. It would sound like a motorcycle or an airplane. Whenever the city would send a truck around to spray for mosquitoes, and I assume back then that meant DDT, I'm not sure, we would ride our bikes right behind that truck with all that poisonous smoke going right in our faces and pretend that we were fighter pilots in World War II, cruising through the clouds. And that, my wife says, explains a great deal about my later mental health. We lived near Fort Campbell, Kentucky back then, the home of the 101st Airborne, and they were the only Army Air, Air Assault Division that I was aware of in World War II, which was still a living memory all around us. We, we had reflected in books and toys, plastic toy soldiers, cap guns. I think I remember having a toy mortar of all things. We played out D-Day and Iwo Jima, the Civil War and the Revolution. Pretty violent play in retrospect, but we were always on the good side, whatever we thought that was. The 101st Airborne was famous. They parachuted into France the night before the Normandy invasion to disrupt the German lines in communication and suffered heavy losses. They were later sent to Bastogne in the Battle of the Bulge. And when we lived there, they trained the paratroopers. On Sunday, they would let the public come and, and watch them jump out of planes. I don't know if it was organic, and of course memory is incredibly editorial, but I do remember seeing one of Hitler's walking canes that was recovered by an American soldier in 1945 when um, troops from Fort Campbell helped capture one of Hitler's homes. And I looked it up online, and it actually is there in their collection. Um and I remember seeing that thing, and it was just the epitome of evil. My brother had four, or my father rather, had four brothers in World War II. He was too young. My grandparents lived through it, and Hitler was a, uh, a, a synonym for Satan to us. And to this day, the sight of neo-Nazis in our streets make me want to throw up, to tell you the truth. 
They were evil personified. There's no such thing in my mind as a neo-Nazi. If you wear a swastika and you like Hitler, I thought back then, and haven't changed much, you're a satanic moron. With the Cold War, secret agents were a big deal. In the fifth grade, I had a friend who got into a show called The Man from Uncle. And Uncle was a, uh, you know, the letters of the word Uncle stood for some organization. So that was a big deal. We played spies. Um, we carried it right on into school sometimes. My friend, Chris Butler, created his imaginary organization. We were the secret agents protecting the country. We called it BASIN for Butler's Anti-Sinister Infiltration Network. We wore trench coats to school a couple of times, even though it made us sweat, and we'd pass secret notes to each other. Eh, I don't think the trench coats would go over well now. It would probably get us on a watch list, but we wore hats for everything, cowboy hats, sailor hats, football helmets, baseball caps. We replayed every war, even the Civil War. We didn't even know that there was another side to the story or that we'd grown up in a racist and segregated society, oblivious to the problems. So living in the South and never knowing anything else, we identified with Confederates as white kids. So in junior high, we went to Six Flags over Texas, which is a strange thing now thinking back, that one of the six flags they had up there was the Confederate Stars and Bars as one of the Six Flags of Texas. So while we were there, we bought, these little gray, cheap, crappy, overpriced Confederate hats at Six Flags. We got caught in a downpour, and the gray dye washed right out of those hats all over our faces, and I thought maybe that was a karma indicator that the Confederate cause could never hold water. We liked to play everything. We played garbage men, firemen, policemen, baseball players, built little toy cities on the garage floor with garbage trucks and fire trucks, Sanitation worker actually was my first career aspiration, followed by pro baseball and pro basketball. And I have to add sports here because the toys of childhood were every kind of ball you can imagine. Ping pong, basketball, football, baseball. Um, it, was, it was fantastic. Later, golf clubs. We played any and everything all day long. And so... As I think back to that, I think about how important it is to play. My love of music started out with watching my dad play, but very early on, he let me take his guitar anytime I wanted to and play with it. The Beatles came along in my childhood, so every boy wanted to be like them because girls liked them for some reason we couldn't figure out, so... You wanted to try to play an instrument because girls would like it. And so playing becomes childhood and then it becomes adulthood. These were the things that I played and played with and played at when I was a boy. Play is serious business for kids. To play is your work to work at becoming an adult, and it's good work. You have to keep things in balance. I remember reading a comment that a person made one time. He was observing that Sigmund Freud had said, 
the purpose of life is to love and to work. And he expanded it to say, uh, we also need play and worship. And I preached a little sermon series on four things that everybody needs, and it is to love, to work, to worship, and to play. An observer once said, Americans show a lot of their imbalance in life because we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at worship. It seems to me that keeping those things in balance, and especially as you move through life into different stages where different things take different importance, is pretty important. And going back to kids, I think it's pretty important that we let kids play. Now, it doesn't mean get out of control or obsessed with it, but play where their imaginations can run free. My youngest daughter stayed with a lady when she was a preschooler who had a great big house. The kids played to their heart's content. She was an artistic person, the teacher was. And she let kids try anything. Our daughter had to have a bath as soon as she got home every day because she'd be covered with red South Georgia dirt from playing outside with kids, chasing chickens and making up things. But it shaped her life unforgettably. To play is the work of a child. And every now and then, adults who have turned work into worship need to go back and learn how to play again. I don't mean the daddy down at the ballpark that has to be served with a restraining order by the umpire. I mean just letting kids play and reconnecting with that child in you that remembers the pure joy of being a child. See you next time. I'm Gary Furr, and this is the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress. Thanks for joining me today. You can find my music at G-A-F-U-R-R, gafur.com. And you can go to my blog site for lots of other information and writings at GaryFur.me. G-A-R-Y-F-U-R-R.me. Once again, thank you so much. Join me next time on the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> <laughs>